I think we can all agree that learning is more fun when you do it with friends, right? So if one of your summer goals is to learn more about the science of reading and how to incorporate it into your classroom, then let me invite you to join our free summer book study. During the month of June, we are gonna be hosting a free book study for teachers just like you, where we are gonna work our way through the book, Shifting the Balance, Six Ways to Bring the Science of Reading into Your Upper Elementary Classroom. And we'd love to have you join us. We're gonna read one chapter a week and inside our book study Facebook group, you're gonna get to participate in things like our weekly Facebook Live, discussion posts, you're gonna get some really awesome freebies and the chance to win some stellar prizes. All of this is going to help you align your instruction with the science of reading next year. It's gonna be fun. And even if you don't think you'll have time to read every single chapter, still consider joining. You're gonna get a lot out of the group even if you don't have time to read the entire text. So I hope to see you this summer where we can all learn alongside each other. You can sign up at stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. That's all one word, stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. And I'll see you inside our group. You're listening to episode number 179 of the Stellar Teacher Podcast. Hey there, happy Monday. I am so glad that you are tuning in to this week's episode because we are continuing our podcast series where we are breaking down the five pillars of effective reading instruction. Now, if you joined us last week, then you got to hear from my dear friend, Christina Winter, and she talked all about phonemic awareness, which means that this week, we are going to dig into the wonderful world of phonics. Now, if you are a third through fifth grade teacher, I bet that it is pretty safe to assume that you have or have had in the past students who still struggle to decode the text that they are reading. So even though you know, you're in third through fifth grade, you still have students that physically cannot read the text, which is probably holding them back as readers. And you know that this is problematic because if a student can't decode the text, if they can't physically read it, then they are going to struggle to comprehend it. And I think this reality just reminds us why we really need to prioritize helping students build a strong phonics foundation if they are struggling with word recognition, because that is necessary if we want them to get to the end goal of comprehension. Now, you're probably wondering, what does that actually look like in upper elementary? I know it's important, but what can I do to help my students? Well, keep listening, because that's exactly what we are going to talk about today. Today, I am joined by Savannah Campbell, and we are going to talk all about phonics instruction that can help all students. Now, Savannah is a K-5 reading specialist. She is currently still working in a school. And the cool thing is, is she actually has taught her entire 13-year career at the school she went to as a child, which I just think is so fun. She holds two master's degree in education. She is both Orton Gillingham and letters trained. And over the past couple of years, she has really worked through transitioning from a balanced literacy mindset to structured literacy And she just has a ton of knowledge and is such a good source for teachers who are on that same journey. She is so much fun to listen to. I know you guys are going to get a lot out of this episode. So let's jump right in. Teaching literacy is tough, but with the right tools, you can be not only good, but great. Amazing. I'm talking off the charts impactful. Hey, I'm Sarah Marie, a literacy specialist with over a decade of experience working as a classroom teacher and school administrator. 
Tune in each week to this podcast to hear no fluff lesson ideas and strategies that will help you feel confident in your abilities to truly grow your students as readers. Are you ready? Let's dig in. Hi, Savannah. Welcome to the show. I am so happy to have you as a guest today. Thank you, Sarah. I'm really excited to be here. Ever since I connected with you at Unlocking Soar, I've just been a big fan of yours. So I'm excited. You're too kind. Well, I have always been a big fan of yours, and I have—I feel like I've learned so much from following you on Instagram. And I'm super excited to have you on today because you know a lot about a topic that my audience always asks questions about. And I feel like it's something that I don't have as much knowledge on. So today we're going to talk all about phonics. And I know that you have a lot of information and knowledge and strategies to share with the audience here. So let's go ahead and start with just a general definition of what is phonics and really why is it important when we're thinking about helping our students in terms of literacy growth? Yeah. So I guess I would classify phonics as helping children to immediately and effortly recognize these sound symbol correspondences, right? Like, so can you take the sounds in a word and can you match them then to the symbols, the letters, or conversely, if you're reading, can you look at the squiggles on a paper and then can you convert that back in your brain to the sounds that represent those squiggles? So it's really important because our brains are actually not hardwired to learn to read. So our brains are hardwired to speak. So really, we don't have to do anything special. We're going to learn how to speak on our own. But our brains just aren't. We actually have to create these like new neural networks in order for our brains to make sense of it because reading is a human invention. And so phonics is really important because some kids do not automatically get it. And I think for a very long time as teachers, we we're led down a different path that wasn't right because some of our children will learn to read seemingly without much effort at all, right? Like, and I know that a lot of us as teachers, learning to read was really easy for us. Was learning to read easy for you? Yeah, I I don't remember learning to read. Like it's one of those things where I just I knew how to read. You know, it's just like I don't I don't remember. I was homeschooled, so it's like I don't remember my mom teaching me how to read. I don't remember like having to do like phonics lessons or anything to like figure out the words. I just, it's like, I figured it out when I was like five. Yes. (laughs) And I think that the statistic is something like 40% of our kids will learn to read no matter what we do. So 40% of our kids are going to be just fine. And so for a long time, we did more of this like whole language approach where we tried to just immerse children into text and into language. And we thought if we just exposed them enough, then they would learn how to read. And we know that that's just not true. And it's really been a very long journey for me of unlearning the things that I had learned in college and relearning. And I honestly think that my husband has been very helpful in that because my husband is the other kid. My husband is the kid that didn't have the explicit instruction. And I remember him telling me one time, like, why do you love to read so much? Like, I spend all my time trying to figure out what the words say. I have nothing left to figure out what they mean. And I was like, you're the kid. You're the kid I'm trying to fight for right now. But yeah, so in a nutshell, that's why it's important because it's not natural. Absolutely. And I think like you bring up such a good point where it's like, you know, 40% of our students are going to figure it out, but it's like 60% is a huge, a huge number. And it's like, we need to make sure that we're doing the right things and, you know, teaching in the right way to help those 60%. So all students have that ability to do it. So one of the things that I, you know, most of the teachers in my audience are third through fifth grade teachers. And I think one of the sort of misconceptions out there is that phonics is only for lower elementary, like K2. So do upper elementary teachers need to know about phonics? Do they need to care about phonics? I mean, even if all of their students are on grade level, is phonics still something that 
needs to be a priority in an upper elementary classroom? So I, I think it depends on whether or not it needs to be a priority. You would hope by the time they get to you in third grade that they can really read most single syllable words. But the thing is, we can't live off hopes and dreams. And if your kids don't have it, we have to have the tools in our toolbox to give them what they need. So I will be honest with you that the effect size for phonics instruction in upper grades is much lower than it is through K through two. But that being said, it's because we know that the older children get, the harder it is to remediate. So it's going to take longer. It's going to take more effort and more time. But if children have not received the appropriate phonics instruction before they have gotten to you, then absolutely we have an obligation to teach our kids those skills that they are missing. Now, if you have a class of kids who are generally good at reading single syllable words, we can't just stop there, right? Like I was just talking about this last week about how it's like, we expect children to go from these decodables to just reading text. And there's no like bridge from the single syllable to, okay, now you can just read whatever. And so I think we need to be really explicit in helping children to decode multisyllabic words once they have those single syllable words. So especially making sure that they know the syllable types is really important. So there are six syllable types. And it's funny because when I was getting my second master's as a reading specialist, I was taught balanced literacy. And the one thing that stuck to me was the print, the teacher saying, yeah, make sure they know the six syllable types, but then she never told us what they were. And so I had to like learn them on my own. So if you don't know them, it's okay. Nobody taught me either. Okay, so the, the two most basic are open and closed syllables. An open syllable ends in a single vowel. The vowel sound is long. Things like go and high are open. A closed syllable is one vowel followed by one or more consonants the vowel sound is short. Those are your CVC words, cat, hit. But here's the thing is, open and closed syllables make up most of our multi-syllabic words too. So you think of a word like fantastic. That's just three closed syllables. So when I'm teaching open and closed, I teach them together. And when I'm teaching that in the upper grades, I'm only teaching it in multi-syllabic words. If you have kiddos who are struggling to read in third, fourth, and fifth, it's not because they can't read hit or go. They don't know what the vowel sounds are doing in multisyllabic words. So you're teaching them to be flexible with the vowel sounds. Then there's magic E, which is vowel consonant E, R controlled vowels like A-R, E-R, I-R, O-R. Then we have vowel teams and diphthongs. And then the last one is consonant L-E. Consonant L-E is the only syllable type that must be in a multisyllabic word. So like wiggle, that consonant L-E stays together. I always like doing like a quick rundown unit on the six syllable types for my older kids once they come in, because I tell them like, if you can just learn these six things, you can read anything. So giving them lots of opportunity. I think the, one of the pitfalls I had seen and one of the pitfalls that I had done was teaching the six syllable types in single syllable words when that's really not what they need. Yeah. We talk about that a lot with the teachers in my membership, how it's like, you can have a student that in kindergarten, first grade and second grade seem to do fine because most of what they were reading was those single syllable words. But then all of a sudden, when you put these multisyllabic words in front of them, they're like, I don't know what to do. But I, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's like if students know the six syllable types, then they really can unlock and figure out how to read anything. But that definitely requires support for them to figure that out. Well, and what you said really rings true too, because a lot of people say, well, these kids are reading just fine. Do they really need phonics instruction? And then when they get to third, fourth, and fifth, because they were never explicitly taught it kind of falls apart because they were getting along just fine, but now they need to rely on things that they were never taught. Yeah, I love that. 
So obviously, we want to make sure that what we're doing is really rooted in research. So can you tell us a little bit about what does the research tell us about phonics instruction? Absolutely. So we have a lot of information about phonics. And I think the biggest thing that we have is the National Reading Panel. So the National Reading Panel was convened in 2000. And why it's so important is because nothing since then has really been such a large-scale, government-funded look at all the available research. So the National Reading Panel literally was the first time we had seen something this big of what does the research say and can we make some determinations from the research about what we know about how kids learn to read. And there is a sub panel of people talking about phonics. And I'm going to actually pull up the actual numbers because I think it's very important. So if you know much about effect sizes, 0.2 is considered a small effect size. 0.4 is considered a moderate effect size. And 0.7 or 8, I can't remember, is considered large. So phonics overall has a 0.41 effect size. Now, that is pretty significant. If you can come together and find anything that has that large of an effect size, like that's really good. But what's interesting is the largest effect size for phonics is actually first grade. In first grade, the effect size is 0.74. So that is really the sweet spot for getting it done. But it doesn't mean that we can't get it done if they didn't get there. But overall, we know that explicit, systematic phonics instruction can help our children learn how to read. I love that. And can you, just to make sure again, it's kind of like the whole syllable types. I remember hearing people when they're like explicit and systematic, I'm like, what does that mean? But can you just make sure so that we, our teachers know when we talk about explicit and systematic instruction, what exactly does that look like in terms of phonics? Yes. So if any of you were raised in a balanced literacy world like I was. <laughs> Many of the teachers of my audience were. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of the antithesis of that. In balanced literacy, it was really you are not the sage on the stage. You are the guide on the side, right? Like you just expose them to text. You give them these tiny, short, mini lessons, and then you just let them go do the work of reading and writing. But we know that it's explicit instruction that is going to give us the biggest bang for our buck. So explicit instruction is instruction that doesn't leave anything to guesswork, right? It is this instruction we we are directly telling children. I will directly tell you, AI represents A in the middle of a syllable. AY represents A at the end of a syllable. I think for a very long time, like actually standing in front of children and teaching them things got a really bad rap. And I think we have got to be okay with giving ourselves permission to actually teach our children. I, I seriously used to feel bad about it. Like, I can't do that. I'm like taking away their agency as children. But like, they don't know. We have to teach right. them. So that's <laughs> and systematic means that the skills build upon each other. And this might be a good time to talk about why some programs actually aren't that effective, if that's yeah, okay. Let's do it. Okay. So you will have any reading program you come across, they will say, we are research-based. We teach phonics, right? They say that. But here's the difference. There's two kinds of phonics instruction. One of them is this systematic phonics instruction where the skills build upon each other and we give our children the opportunity to read and spell words based on the skills that we've given them. So there is no phonics sequence that is correct. They are all acceptable as long as they're getting the key skills in. So most of them, you know, we'll start with CVC words, then we'll go to digraphs and blends and magic E, but we're building the skills upon each other. That is systematic phonics. On the flip side, embedded phonics is what you will see in a lot of programs. 
embedded phonics is when we teach phonics, kind of like when it arises. So the texts lead the way with embedded phonics, where say you're reading a book and it happens to have a lot of magic E words. Okay, well, we'll teach magic E. And the embedded phonics does not have the research to support it. So if they are saying that they are doing phonics, I would ask for their scope and sequence. What does that look like? I would ask to see the materials that are supporting that scope and sequence, because if the only materials they have for phonics are the leveled text themselves, that is not what we are talking about. I think that's super helpful for teachers to understand that it's like, you know, especially I feel like as more and more teachers and schools and districts learn more about the science of reading and understanding and recognizing that like phonics is a huge part of it and making sure that our students have access to that. I know that a lot of, you know, curriculum companies are saying we're aligned with the science of reading, like we've got phonics, but just because they put a label on their resources doesn't necessarily mean that they are 100% aligned or are what's best for students. So I love that you really clarified the difference between embedded phonics and systematic phonics. Now, I'm assuming that if you have a, because again, I'm always thinking about the teachers here in my audience, if we've got a third, fourth, or fifth grade student and they are struggling with a lot of these phonics skills, even though they're in fourth grade, we still want to walk them through that same scope and sequence that they would have gotten or should have gotten in first grade, correct? Yeah, I would say the pacing might be different. So, you know, instead of just going through CVCA, then CVCI, like if you have a kiddo that's coming to you in fourth grade, unless they're English learners and have just gotten here, or if they, unless they've come from a school that literally did no phonics, these kids have some basic understanding. So it's really about giving them the number of repetitions that they need to be proficient. And it's about making sure that we go through it fast enough that they can actually pick up on skills. Because here's what I've seen happen. Like, kiddos are only given what's on their level, right? And so like in K and one, they'll have CVC words. But then if they haven't mastered that, okay, well, then they only see CVC words in second grade and third grade. And so by the time they get to those upper grades, they've never been exposed to anything else. So just making sure that we don't spend forever on a specific skill because we can always bring that cumulative review. And I think that's kind of like the danger. Like we have to make sure that these kids are are approaching where they need to be. We can't let them live forever with CVCs and digraphs. We just can't. I love that. And I think that's such a good reminder that it's like, yes, we need to take them through the the systematic, like the sequence, but at a pace that will get them hopefully to be, you know, closer to grade level and being able to access the, the you know, the text that they're used to seeing. Okay. So let's talk about some practical, really things that teachers can do. Do you have any, you know, routines or ideas for how teachers can bring phonics instruction into their classroom? Yeah, so I would say that if you are a third, fourth, or fifth grade teacher, the bulk of your whole group instruction should really be morphology. And I know we're going to talk about that on another day too. So if you have kiddos who are basically where they need to be, your instruction should be explicit multisyllabic instruction. However, in your small groups, those kiddos who do not yet have it, they really need to have this explicit phonics instruction. But that doesn't mean that they don't have access to the whole group. So, and this is a really big debate, and there are some really knowledgeable people that disagree with me on this one. But I think that children need to be exposed to the whole group, and then we fix the holes in small groups. So, let me give you an example. Like, kids can still be taught prefixes and suffixes, right? If I'm still learning my vowel teams, there's no reason I can't learn that un means not. So exposing them in whole group and then remedying it in small group. 
So I think that the biggest thing I would encourage your audience to do is to start incorporating cumulative review. That has been my big thing. So I'm going to give you a link to two things that I have there. I have two different sound decks that your audience can have. So the first one is just basic phoneme grapheme correspondences. So I start every single lesson with a sound deck. So a sound deck would be think of like a, an alphabet, like a ABC deck, right? Like you would hold up the ABCs, they would tell you the sound, but it's not just the ABCs. We also have digraphs in there. We have the vowel teams in there. We have the R controlled vowels. All of those things are included in the sound deck. So after you teach a skill, you just include it in your sound deck. And then at the beginning of a lesson, and my teachers do this whole group, I do it small group. So the kids sometimes see it a couple times a day, but you're flashing through it and you're getting them to give you the sounds that it makes. Because remember, we want automaticity in sound symbol correspondences. But then once they get to the upper elementary grades, we can do the exact same thing with morphemes. So a morpheme is your smallest unit of meaning. So things like ject is a root. Ing is a suffix. So I have another sound deck that has all of the prefixes, suffixes, roots, and Greek combining forms. And anytime I teach them one of those, I display it and they have to read the morpheme and then they have to tell me the meaning. So I find this really useful because I feel like if we can become automatic with the tiny parts, it's going to make the bigger parts easier. Another thing that I really encourage teachers to do is to review reading and review spelling every day. One of the things that I see a lot is like you're teaching beautifully. You've got that explicit instruction down. You're teaching just say the prefix miss this week. But then everything you do throughout the week shouldn't be about the prefix miss because it's not just can they read miss. It's can they read this in context of everything else I've learned. So when you're doing things like spelling routines, make them do words they've already done before. Something so simple you can do is have them open up their notebooks, write one through five or one through 10. The first couple of words can be the current skill, but then the remainder of it should be things that you have done before. Kids will never master what we are expecting them to learn if we do it one week and then they never see it again. So dictation is such an easy way to incorporate that cumulative review. Another thing you can do is just like make a PowerPoint of words from what you've already taught your kiddos and just flash it. So I have ones that I've made. And so like the word rejection will come up and I'll be like, okay, what's your root there? And they will say, Jack, okay, what does that mean? It means to throw. So making sure that you are doing a mixture of current and previous skills is huge. I spend between like a third and a half of my lesson on review, actually. I think that is such a good reminder for teachers because I think so often we feel this pressure to like keep moving forward and like we have to get through all of our standards and make sure our students know everything before the end of the year. But it's like if we taught them something back in September, if we're not continuing to like bring that in front of them, they're going to forget about it before the, before the end of the semester, you know? So I love that you are, one, I love that the review is a huge part of your instruction, but I think also too, the fact that you just said, you said what about 30% of your time with your students is review. I think that just hopefully that gives teachers and my audience permission to go back, review the things that you taught. Like, yes, we want to keep moving forward, but don't be afraid to review the things that you've already taught. And to add to that too, so orthographic mapping is, you know, that ability to effortlessly retrieve a word. So many of our kids will orthographically map with seeing a word between one and four exposures, right? 
But then there are some of our kids who take hundreds of exposures. And so when we do cumulative review, when we are mixing it up for them, we are giving them the exposures they need to be proficient with it. And I think that especially for our struggling learners, like that is, that's how we catch them up. That's how we catch them up in whole group, even if they are behind, because we are continuously reviewing those skills that they might not have mastered yet. I love that. Such a good reminder. This episode has been filled with so much knowledge, so many practical things for teachers. I just appreciate you coming on and sharing with the teachers in my audience. But to end this out, do you have any advice or encouragement to teachers who either maybe they don't feel really confident or equipped? You know, phonics is something that is not in their normal wheelhouse, but they recognize that it's an important part of their instruction. What encouragement would you give to those teachers who really want to be effective with their phonics instruction? Yeah, so I think that You know, I was a fourth grade teacher. I don't think I've mentioned what I do. I'm actually a reading specialist now, but I did teach fourth grade and I taught first grade and I taught third grade. And I remember I had read the statistic once that it was like, well, if kids aren't reading on grade level by the end of third grade, they're never going to. And I was like, well, crap, when they come to me in fourth grade, what am I supposed to do? You know, but I think that number one, we have to remember that we as educators get the chance to change the statistics. The statistics are a result of what we do as our teaching. And the thing that I always like to remember, especially as an interventionist, is that difficult does not mean impossible. Ooh, I love that. Yes, it will be more difficult to remediate for those students, but it is not impossible. I have to say that I have some kiddos that I have been teaching since I was in balanced literacy. And, you know, I had a kiddo last year, we take SOLs, and I had a kiddo last year, he was in fifth grade, and he had never passed a single reading SOL. And then last year, he finally passed it. And I know that a standardized test is not everything, but it is a good feeling when you have a kid who has struggled for a really long time. So I just want you to keep in mind that it is harder, but it is not impossible. And I don't want teachers to think that they have to overhaul everything they do overnight. You will burn out. I always tell people, just take one thing. If the only thing you start doing after listening to this is maybe you start having kids do dictation of things you've done before well, then that is a win for me. So be kind to yourself. It is not our fault that we were not taught these things. And now if you are listening to this podcast, how amazing it is that you are listening to educational things in your free time. Like that is such a testament to the teachers that we have out there today. And I I really do believe that we're the generation that's going to get it right for these sake of kids. And everybody listening to this and both of us sitting on here get to have our hand in that. I... I love that. That seriously, that it feels so encouraging to me. And I know the teachers in my audience are going to feel so encouraged by that. Difficult does not mean impossible. Where can my audience connect with you if they want to continue learning from you, following you? Where's the best place for them to connect with you? Yeah, you can find me basically everywhere at Campbell Creates Readers, Campbell Like the Soup, and then Creates Readers. I'm really most active on Instagram and then on my website too. I love writing and I love just, so I have a lot of posts on my website about morphology and teaching phonics and I always say that I try to be the person that I wish I had had in the start. There are some people that I feel like they make you feel like you don't know anything. And I don't want to be that person. Like, like I knew nothing starting this. I'm very transparent about where I've been and where I'm going and how I'm going to continue to learn. So yeah, Campbell Creates Readers, find me. You can email me, Savannah at CampbellCreatesReaders.com. And I'd love to connect. Wonderful. We will link to all of those in the show notes. And if you are not following Savannah on Instagram, be sure you go follow her after this episode. She puts out amazing content. She shares just really practical suggestions, lots of knowledge. She's just one of my favorite literacy experts on Instagram. So Savannah, thank you so much for joining me today. This was just a wonderful conversation. I know 
the teachers in my audience are going to benefit from it. I can't wait to have you on again, because like you mentioned, we have some morphology information we want to share with my audience as well. So I'll be excited to have that interview coming up here shortly. Thank you so much. It's my honor. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Stellar Teacher Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are finding value in this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would follow along and leave a five-star positive review. This helps me spread the word to more and more teachers just like you. And don't forget to join me over on Instagram at the Stellar Teacher Company. You can always find the links and resources from this episode in the show notes at stellarteacher.com. I'll see you back here next week.